0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel?
1: It's going so good, Chris. This is part two of our ATIA episode. So tell me, Chris, tell me all the other stories that you didn't have a chance to tell me last episode.
0: Well, yeah. So I still have quite a few stories from that particular conference. And so the first one that I want to share today is um, the last number of years, I've been one of the people participating kind of facilitator for these sessions called SmackDown Sessions. Have you heard of SmackDown Sessions?
1: Um, Yes, because you've told me about them before. but
0: That's
1: that's the only reason. The only reason I remember this is because I thought you were talking about some type of wrestling move. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, oh, cool.
0: (laughs) Um, everyone thinks the rock is going to be there, and it 's going to be you know John Cena is going to show up, and we 're going to have some sort of throwdown, but really, what it is is just people coming up and sharing a resource for like two minutes. they smack it down, and then they uh the buzzer goes off, and they have to leave, and the next person gets up, and they smack down a resource so there was two of those, and the first one was called the app smackdown and i can 't tell you this I can't really explain. The the room was huge. Like it's this very long room, long rectangular room and the doors are at the far back of the room and there was people sitting on the floor, out the doors. I mean, it's just packed because people want apps and they want to know specifically how they're being used, you know, and this again, not specific to AAC, this is somewhere, but um, they were more about just general educational technology and assistive technology apps to solve problems for people or to uh, to address problems. And so, you know, people got up and they shared different resources, you know, Lauren Enders was there, she she got up and she shared some, um, I'll share one, I said, okay, well, I, I got to share one, right, I got to share one. So, I was just at FETC and I had seen And Hall Davidson, who again is kind of famous in the ed tech world, he used to work for Discovery Education. And anyway, he was doing, he was on a panel and he showed off this app called Bell Us 3D. So B E L L U S 3D, which is a free app. And so I get up in front of this huge room. And I bring up my phone and it scans my face. So people, again, can't see me, but I'm holding up my phone uh, in front of the camera and I'm scanning my face, right? And then it makes this 3D representation of my face, which of course is projected on the huge screen behind me. So my head just got, you know, five times as large. Um, But then it's this 3D version of your face, right? It's like, so what is that all about? But the way I was associating it when I saw this at at FETC and then when I was presenting it at ATIA was to talk about emotions, right? Like when it scans my face, and makes this 3D representation. Well, it's whatever when it's doing the scan. I can be angry, or I can be happy, or I can be whatever I want to be, and then use that 3D representation for students. And it doesn't have to be my face too. It could be a student's face, you know. Because um, there's no, I, I don't think I created an account. I think I just you know downloaded the app and, and used it. So it's it's not saving any information to a server place you know. Even if I did had to create my own account, it's not really pushing it anywhere to another server. So anyway, I just thought it was just the the coolest thing and kind of fun thing for um, for kids is to make this representation of, of either your parent or you, you or your teacher. Um, it was really fun.
1: I'm totally going to download that. I love apps. I actually was just asked yesterday to speak at a conference in LA called the Help Group Summit, which is actually such an honor to speak at because they like fly people in from all over the world to speak at this conference. Um, and of course, I got on the phone with you know, the organizers. And I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? And they're like, we want you to talk about apps. I'm like, (laughs) she's like, everybody wants to know about apps and your presentation. I presented there two years ago. She's like, that was like one of the favorites. Like we, they put me in the biggest room because like, it's just a testament to people want to know about technology and they want to know about what apps they can download to support either kids on their caseload. There are a lot of parents there, so their children. So it's just like something that people really want to know about.
0: Yeah, well, and that's something that this SmackDown kind of really does is that y- you got two minutes to kind of show off what the app does, but then really to make it powerful, you have to explain how it's used, you know, because apps will come and go, you know, I always say, don't fall in love with the tool, fall in love with the strategy or the uh, the function of the tool because, you know, tools, I can't tell you over the years how many I've, I've fallen in love with and then, you know, the app company is out, you know I mean? They, they get bought out and the app goes away, but the function, what, the, what we wanted the tool to, to do, that persists. That's still a good thing for kids uh, typically, you know, pervasively. So I'll give you the URL. So uh, if you want to check out what other people, uh, one of the things that we do during these smackdowns is that, um, you know, one person is there wiggling the wires and making sure when people come up the whatever device they have, we have a connector for it, right? My job at the session was running around and recruiting people like, come on, you got something to share, go up there, you know. But there was someone else who was um, tweeting it, Mike Murata was tweeting it. And then uh, there was another person that was documenting it all in a Google Sheet. So I'm going to give you that link right now. It's bit.ly slash app smack So bit.ly slash app smack 20. And you can have access to that Google Sheet. So you can see, you know, of course, you can't hear it live, but you can see what the apps were that people thought were interesting enough to share. And uh, they had, we, we included links to all of them. So you can go check them out.
1: I'm excited to check that out. Honestly, I'm always looking for new resources and new apps. So this
0: is perfect. So that is only one of the smackdowns. So that happened, I think, on Thursday. And then Friday, uh, both of these smackdowns happened around lunchtime. So on the Friday, there was something called the PD smackdown. So PD is professional development. And what we did there is we took the, again, the room was packed with lots of people wanting to get these ideas for how to do professional development. A lot of people come to ATIA who then need to bring information back, right, or do PD. And uh, what we did there is we we had them break up into or whatever, they could work in groups or by themselves and just, uh, you know, turn to a a, a shoulder partner and, and chat and discuss a book so there's this book called I think it's actively learn um, and it breaks PD down it suggests that you break PD down into four groups so or four categories so the first one is like the pre-event before the PD event happens the second one is when the PD the event actually happens what is that experience like the third is like this follow-up what are you gonna do after the the PD event and then the fourth is what's the generalization like Where, where are you going you know how do you make sure that it didn't just was a, a one and done. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so people kind of broke down the different strategies they were thinking of into these different categories, and we gave them about fifteen minutes to to think of strategies, and then we did a. Back to the traditional SmackDown, it's like, okay, now come up and share what your group talked about and and share different strategies. So all those we documented the same way with a a Google Sheet. And so I'm about to give you that. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Get your your pencils out. Get your paper out. Get your Google Keeps up. Get your OneNote out. Start typing this. Here it is. Bit.ly slash PD SmackDown 20. So that's bit.ly slash PD SmackDown 20.
1: Love it. Love it. Oh my gosh. I have a lot of, a lot of things to add to my to-do list. (laughs) All these uh, explorations of SmackDowns.
0: Now, so I still got more stories. You ready for some more? I'm
1: ready. I was born ready for ATA stories.
0: So, remember how I said I wish I could duplicate myself and be in more than one place? Well, one thing, I I had to make a choice, and I I made the hard choice not to go to this event, but then I was sort of second-guessing myself afterwards because, not that I regret what I did instead, because I'm about to tell you that too, but everyone was talking about, it was all a buzz this event that happened, and that was the town hall conversation with Katya Hill talking about the AAC certification, the ASHA certification. Um, Again, I wasn't there, so this is all secondhand, you know, telephone game. But people we met on the elevator, people we were talking with afterwards, you know, I was walking around, it was the buzz, right? If you're not familiar, this is a very controversial topic. We've done episodes on it in the past where we had Katya Hill on to kind of explain the whole viewpoint of why ASHA is pursuing an AAC certification. And then we had a special guest episode with Matt Hott, like a crossover event with uh, the Speech Science Podcast where we kind of broke down the pros and cons of this so you can go back and listen to those episodes in the in the archives but uh this was uh you know a lot of people were fired up about it they were kind of almost protesting is the way i would describe people talking about it like getting up and saying why are you doing this no one wants this or a lot of people are uh, don't want this can we come up with a different solution and you know basically a lot of people just said it's it's happening a lot of people are kind of just shrugging saying like Although there's a lot of controversy around it, no one seems to be willing to pump the brakes a little bit uh, over at ASHA. So uh, that was the walk away I got from from the conversations I had from all the people that attended.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a topic of conversation, I think, um, that's contentious. And a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about but yeah, it's just, it's it's going forward, it sounds like, despite uh, all of the criticisms of it. So yeah, I definitely would encourage you guys to go back and listen if you have not listened to those episodes. They're actually one of our, they're our top downloaded episodes. They're in the, I believe they're in the top 10 or at least the two-part ASHA series that we did with Matt Hott over at Speech Science. So yeah, definitely go back and listen because we have a lot of different viewpoints. There's a lot of pros and a lot of cons uh, that we discuss and go into detail about.
0: So what I chose to do instead of going that, which was in going to that event, because I mean, you can imagine, I really wanted to be there, right? Because I, I definitely have my own thoughts about this and, and where I think we could go with it. Um, but at the same time, there were poster sessions happening and uh, there were some people there that I wanted to go see. Poster sessions to me are some of the best sessions that, at any conference where you get a lot of traffic going through there. You get a chance to really talk to the presenters as opposed to being talked to. We talked about that you know last week. Chris Klein was presenting at this at this particular poster session and i hadn't seen him yet at the conference so i wanted to go and say hi to my buddy you know and uh, he he went and did uh, i hope i'm not giving it away anything away but he went to the whole star wars experience so i wanted to hear what that was like you know we, we geeked out over you know the star wars at uh, disney and which of course i have not been so i wanted to hear all about what, what that was like uh you know and he's a celebrity there you know there's a line uh, you know it, <laughs> it's hard to get to him you know what i mean so that was fun to learn about that. He he had this great little poster session where, um, when I say little, it wasn't little, it was this giant poster session, but he had all these little QR codes on his posters that linked to little videos, short, short videos, um, describing different aspects of what it's like to be someone who uses an AAC device. And I'm like, well, Chris, you know, which one should I watch right now? And he's like, this one. So I scanned the, the, the video, and it's like the, his buddy coming up to him going, hello, Chris, you know, it's speaking real like <laughs> uh, deliberately and loudly and right. just kind of laughing how people, you know, talk sometimes to uh, an AAC user as opposed to just, you know, treating them like, like just talking to them like, like anyone else, you know?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we just had Hannah Foley on who was talking about her experience as an AAC user and how it's just like we need to, we really need to spread awareness on how to talk to people who are using AAC, um, you know, because that's just as important as teaching, you know, people how to use AAC is teaching everyone else around how to be good communication partners, right?
0: Absolutely. That's a big part of it. Right. And that's what Chris was there and trying to do is promote. This is how you this is how you be a good communication partner. So speaking of poster sessions, another thing that was there at a bunch of poster sessions, uh, at least two I saw there might have been three. Uh, It's hard because they all kind of weave together, but there were a number of sessions on AAC camps. And people that are doing camps over the summer for either a week long summer sleepaway camps, some are, you know, you come for the day and then you leave and you come back the next day. Um, but that was really exciting to see. I came back uh, inspired and uh, I'm having conversations around here about uh, trying to spur something like that on because um how awesome is that, right? To have camp counselors who are, who learn to become good communication partners, uh, who learn how to do aided language input um, and modeling, and uh, and then campers can go and have this wonderful experience, you know?
1: Absolutely. There's actually a really amazing documentary um, about Camp Alec, which I think is in Michigan. Is it in Michigan? I somewhere, think so. Yeah. Somewhere around there. It's not Michigan. It's somewhere around there. Um, and it was a film short that was done. And the documentary filmmaker actually lives in LA. And I've connected with him because they're trying to do a feature length documentary on AAC users. And so I'm really excited. They, um, Both the documentary uh, filmmaker and um, some people from Camp Alec are willing to come on the podcast. They're not coming on yet. Um, it'll probably be closer to the summer. But I'm really excited to have that conversation because I think the thing that they're doing um, at camps like this are amazing and they're really pushing um, the needle with literacy and I think that that's such an amazing way to teach literacy in a really fun engaging and social environment
0: so Saturday morning of ATIA um, I participated in well I was the kind of facilitator for an AAC agreement session and Tina hello, Tina, I know you're listening, um, was there in the session. Tina is the one that you're talking about. Is one of the people involved at the camp up in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, and she was there in the session. I found out afterwards, and Tina, you got to come say hello that, next time, right? Tina, we love you, okay? Yes. We're, we're saying it right here, right now. We love you.
1: can't wait to have you on the podcast. Don't be a stranger. <laughs>
0: So back to the poster sessions, I have one more that I need to talk about, it's kind of important because last year at ATIA, I recorded a couple episodes, you know, these short small talk version of an episode, and one of the people we talked to was a a student named Michael, and Michael is the son of Christine Baudin, and Christine Baudin is the speech therapist who started AAC for the SLP, which is this enormously popular Facebook group, right? Christine Bauden's son, Michael, is running an adapted switch club that he, that he runs with his uh, friends. And, and so you can go back and listen to the, the episode last year that came out. But he was there again, and I wanted to catch up with him and find out what he'd been doing for the last year, you know. So he had a poster session that kind of explains how to switch adapt toys and one of the coolest things he had, Rachel, you're going to totally dig this, right? He had a business card, but the business card was 3D printed, right? He did a 3D printed business card. It was the wildest thing.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. I love this. I love this so much. Uh, cool. It's, it, you know, business cards are important. Having a business card that stands out is super important. And what stands out more than something that's 3D? Yeah, <laughs> I don't <right>? think anything <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly exactly so he had his whole board explaining how to you know the club that he works with that whole organization and uh and where it's going in the future and really how to switch adapt. if you didn't know how to do it you could just take a picture of his big poster board and he he really laid it out really well so congratulations Michael it was awesome to catch up with him all right so there's still more I'm so sorry I still have more stuff to tell you <laughs> so much so much to talk about what <laughs> should so tell you I know I know details details <laughs> Okay, so at FETC, I did a session with Jane Odom all about using uh, robots to teach language, right? And we spent some time together at ATIA with Lance McElmore, who has also been on the podcast, and a, another AAC user named Carson, who will be on the podcast we asked them to play with the robots a little bit. And this particular robot is called the EZ robot, uh, one of the ones that we are working with, where it is voice activated. And so uh, you can talk to the robot and give it directions and it will follow the commands of your voice. And so the big experiment here was, well, how would it work with a synthesized voice? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we spent some time, four of us, and then uh, Jennifer Edge Savage, who works for Saltillo, she came over and helped us too. And so the five of us were trying to figure out how we could adapt the voice, and it worked inconsistently. Sometimes we could get the synthesized voice to operate the robot, and other times we couldn't. And we made all these adjustments. We played for over two hours before our session, to get it to work but it was still uh, when we had the actual session we had this great uh, great time we did this thing where we brought up the uh, lamp words for life right on the screen for the session and we turned on the the voice activation on the iPad so what that means is that all these Anything on the screen of the iPad gets a little number over it, right? And then you can say tap the number and it would sort of like if you were tapping it with your finger, except you can control it with your voice, right? Or we bring up Lamp Words for Life and we turn on the voice activation and we say this big joke. We're like, look, see, all the words on Lamp Words for Life have numbers. So now you can control Lamp Words for Life with your voice. And everyone busted. It was great. It was great. Um, but we had a great time playing with the robots. You've, you've heard me harp on this before, so I won't spend too much time on it, other than to say that it was a really popular session. A lot of people were there and we were all brainstorming how to use uh, robots in, in therapy and in teaching in computer science and a, as a as a pathway to um, uh, not just literacy, but uh, as a pathway to employment. And so it was a really good session, I thought.
1: Love that. I have a question, Chris. So mm-hmm. is the voice recognition, is that Something that the company, the robot company can enhance, and it would be more accessible
0: fantastic question, yeah, that's exactly what we were giving them feedback on right mm-hmm. when when they were developing it, they were thinking of of human voices, they weren't thinking of synthesized voices, right um so you know most companies are not necessarily thinking they're not in geared into this space of of a a c but they were so eager when Jane and I were talking to them about. You know can, can you make this even more accessible for people because it's something they had not considered so yes uh, they were taking that feedback and and they gave us a lot of feedback right when we said we were brainstorming with um and trying things out with Lance and Carson we had them on the phone like okay they're like to make these adjustments make these adjustments see if you can do this or that so they were very responsive because everyone sees how exciting and, and the possibilities there you know so that was this that session. So, But then there was the AAC agreement session that was on Saturday morning. Again, 8 o'clock Saturday morning, you don't expect a lot of people to come after their night out at, at Disney or whatever, or uh, what actually we did on Friday night, which I'll ha- talk about here in a second too. Um, but AAC agreements was, again, very popular, and we had a bunch of different outcomes from that conversation couple of things that we're thinking about with the AAC agreements, just to kind of catch everybody up. Uh, so if you're not familiar, the AAC agreements were born out of ATIA, conversations that happened at ATIA, and they were essentially a list of things that maybe we think that everyone who works in the field of AAC agree upon. You know, you know So there are certain things we disagree upon, like that the ASHA certification, right? But what are some things everyone would see as, as kind of universal truths uh, so we have a list of those, right? And we're con- constantly talking about you know how to expand them and how to make them uh, more valid. So here's what came out of that session real quick for people that are that are interested. So first thing is there's this list of AAC agreements that and we've broken them into two categories one that have research backing the agreements, and then that, uh, the other set is, agreements that are yet to be validated with research or research is pending, right? We want researchers to do more research on these particular agreements because in practice, we think they're good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the questions that came up was, well, okay, what do you mean by research? Is research like, hey, Rachel and Chris got together and they wrote an article and then they had three of their friends peer review it and that's research, you know? Or was it like, you know, an empirical research where we had, you know, a case study or whatever, you know? And so someone there suggested that there's a thing called levels of evidence where you can, uh, essentially, I think there's like eight or nine levels of evidence that you can kind of say, well, this level of evidence is much more valid than this lower level of evidence and so you could kind of rank the research done based on the level of evidence so so that you could essentially categorize them even more just put a number next to each research article and say well is this just a you know is this an article written by some peers or is this an article that um that has an empirical and it, and so there's this whole scale there that was one outcome the second outcome was the idea that This is from Kathy Howery. She had researched something called the Delphi method. Have you heard of the Delphi method? I have not. No, I never heard of it either, right? But essentially what it is is, here we're saying these are the agreements, but what if there's people out there that are like, well, I don't think so, you know? Or what if people are like, well, sort of, you know? How do we actually ratify and say this is an agreement, right? And so what she came up with when she was researching this Delphi method is essentially you, you take the agreements, picture it like a, a Google form, right? You put them all in a Google form. Underneath each agreement, you mark it from one to 10. And then you send that out to a bunch of people, right? You know, a Rachel Madel, a Vicki Clark, a Lauren Enders, a, a me, Dale Van Tate, no, whatever. You send it out to 50, 100 people, right? Mm-hmm. And they all then look at the agreements and they mark it. They say, you know, let's say, it's a, you know, no, I don't think this is agreement. It's a one, you know, or yes, this is super, this is a definitely agreement. It's a ten, and you put it somewhere on a scale. Mm-hmm. And again, um, I'm riffing here, right? I don't know that it'll be a ten-point scale. Maybe it's a five-point scale, whatever. But you then have an average of the the confidence level for each agreement, right? We right. gave this to you know, like the those old commercials, right? We gave Crest to uh, fifty dentists, and you know, <laughs> twenty-five out of fifty dentists say this is the best toothpaste, right? Same thing, like this. Right. Yeah, we sent this out to a hundred professionals, and these professionals agree that this this agreement is at ninety percent. You know what I mean? That would get, and this other one, eh, 50%, you know, uh, which doesn't make it necessarily worse. It's just the idea that some might be more uh, valid than others. Because other, you know, these were just conversations that came out of them. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I love it. I love the AAC agreements. I think that, like, let's all try to agree more on things, right? (laughs) And I honestly, I think that we should guide our practice with these kind of universal truths, right? The things that we now know, because as much as it feels like we all know them, the reality is, we all don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the collective we does not. Um, there's a lot of myths out there that are still pervasive and uh, misinformation by clinicians, by speech language pathologists, which is, you know, of course, Chris, part of the reason that we started this podcast is because we felt like we needed to change some of these misconceptions and these myths and inform clinicians in an easy to digest, fun, on the go kind of way. So. I think that it's important to have these types of discussions and then spread the word, right? Spread the word.
0: I couldn't agree more, but now there's two last events I have to tell you about, and then that'll be my whole ATIA experience in two different podcast episodes. So okay, perfect. Here, the last two events were also two of my favorite events of the entire thing. So every year I love to go to Ed Camp. Ed EdCamp is on Friday night. It is from 5.45 till whenever it ends, And it is like the most passionate people go there, and you just talk all about whatever you want to talk about. People slap up ideas on the board, and you go to that section of the, uh, you know, you say, "Okay, I want to be." Someone slapped up on the board talking about BCBAs and AAC, right? Well, okay, I want to be in that conversation. I want to go learn more about what how this is working across. You know the country and then you have all these people that come to ed camp and you sit around the table and so like Vicki Haddix was there who I get to see once a year she it lives in Tennessee she you know lives in Breeze AAC but I want to hear about her experience with BCBAs out in Tennessee versus what are mine in Virginia right and so and everyone else that sits around and so we sat around that table and, and had that conversation which was awesome um, and i just cannot profess enough about how good the ed camps are you know where you it is um the sessions that happen out in, in uh, a really good at, at conferences, they're often really good. But some of the best parts is that those conversations that happen in between the sessions, right? And EdCamp is an, a great way to organize those. Uh, those if you, if you didn't get to have that experience where you got to talk about the thing you wanted to talk about, EdCamp is the place to go and learn more from all these people. So I cannot stress it enough, it was awesome. And then the last thing, the last event was again saturday morning after i left the aac agreement session i ran right over to the exhibit hall because bill binko had organized for the third year straight the at maker day and so at maker day was all of these students that have participated with uh, the 18 makers that organization they had an, a whole adapted gaming lounge, which you know you know adapted gaming is one of the first episodes we did on the podcast it was like I'm gonna go talk to the able gamers people and there's an old episode because I feel like that whole recreation is such an important part of life and it's be- becoming more and more uh, available to people with uh, the Xbox controller and, and and build doing all and, and so many more other organizations uh, and people working all together to, to come up with adapted gaming but that was just one part of it was the adapted gaming lounge there was also um, these giant tables with students and professionals some of them were high-tech with 3d printers and other were low-tech with putty and clay and and PVC pipe and that kind of stuff but it was again just as great experience so I can't recommend it enough Uh, come back for if you can come to ATIA next year come and go to AT maker day it's always super fun
1: I mean honestly for people who didn't get to a chance to go to ATIA, I feel like we did a pretty comprehensive overview, right? <laughs> I feel like I went.
0: <laughs> well, good, good. That's how That's how I was hoping that that's exactly what these episodes would bring. You know, it would entice people to come. If they couldn't come this year, maybe come next year. But even if you couldn't come, give you a, a lot of information that you could take back and digest and look at and and explore. So so thank you for listening to my whole ATIA experience. I just, I just love it.
1: Well, I'm excited because I'm going next year. If you guys haven't already joined our Patreon, we have a Patreon membership now, and I'm really excited. We have a lot of new members since the last time we recorded, Chris. Uh, We have Amber, Bill, Elisa, Heather, Kelly, Crystal, and Marlene Cummings. Marlene Cummings, who was on the podcast from ASHA two years ago. Um, And Chris, you talked to Marlene Cummings at HAA, right?
0: She's coming right up. You're going to listen to that interview just here in a minute.
1: Awesome. So if you guys haven't joined our Patreon, please, please, please go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. There you can join our amazing group of core members. We, we did a, a play on words there, our core members, because we love core words. <laughs> and um, lots of really exciting things to come with the Patreon. Once we get to 50 members, then we're going to open up another tier of membership where we're going to do lots of bonus content behind the scenes um, and really talk to our core members and figure out what is it that you guys want us to do. Do you want more episodes? Do you want live Q&A? Do you want coaching calls? You know, What can we do to help you learn more about aacpatreon.com backslash talking with tech.
0: So the interviews you're about to hear are, the first one is with Jenna and Maggie who are from Basque. They're gonna talk all about their kind of three year plan for, uh, for AAC and how they approached it in their neck of the woods. Then you're going to hear Susan and Lauren who talk about AAC assessments and how they should be not like a one-time thing, kind of an ongoing assessment. And then the last one is, like I mentioned before, Marlene Cummings is coming on talking about the session that she did with a bunch of other people that I couldn't be at because I was presenting at the time, but it was all about kind of the challenges of, of, uh, and barriers to AAC implementation.
1: So without further ado, let's head on to the interviews that Chris did at ATAA.
0: Welcome to Talking with Tech. My name is Chris Bougay, and I'm here sitting at ATIA with uh, two people that I went to go see their session. So today, or well, it wasn't today, but today yeah. I'm sitting with Jenna. Gina. 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 Gina, Gina. I'll tell it, you, introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Gina Antrim. I work for Belleville Area
2: Special Services Cooperative in Illinois. And?
3: Maggie Judson. I'm a speech language pathologist, and I work for Basque as well in Illinois.
0: Now Basque, I've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, how have I heard of it?
3: Uh, maybe on Instagram, and we have an Instagram channel or Instagram account, Basque AAC, and we have a YouTube channel, Basque AAC, where we share tips and tech, tricks, tips mm-hmm. and tricks, and
2: related tech. to AC and assistive technology. And on our YouTube channel, we have lots of videos that support our staff for aided language input and how to get free device
0: simulators as well. Um, we walk you through step. By step yes yeah, so let's talk about your presentation a little bit what yeah. what was it about what was the what was the whole uh, experience like
3: so we had um, a session yesterday on capacity building so we talked about what we do to support staff um, with implementation of AAC strategies and supports and some of the different um, things that we try and use so we talked all about that
2: we talked about how we're empowering our families how we're supporting and improving our school team involvement as well as how we get our administrators involved? We are lucky to have pretty good administrator support, but just increasing their overall assistive technology
0: knowledge. Mm-hmm. So. Can, if I'm rem- remembering correctly, yeah. you had kind of broke it down into three different uh, phases, right? And yes, you were talking yeah. about how you had like a three-year plan. Can yes. you talk <laughs> about that a little bit?
3: Well, yeah. So three-year plan because <laughs> we get, you know, you get you come to ATIA, you get all these great ideas, you're ready to go back, and you just want to jump in and try everything. So uh, to make it sustainable and make it like we could manage. Our steps. Mm-hmm. We did. We said, what can we do this year? When we go back from ATIA and you have a couple months left of the school year, what can we try now? And then thinking through what we could do um, and even year after that and the year after that. So, some of the things we've tried um, we love these power AAC modules that Gail Van Tatenhove made. So, we use those to do like a little learning community. Um, we work with families to help connect them with other families of AAC users so they can learn from each other. And then um, We started having monthly AT meetings with our administrators and um, just trying those different things spread out one thing at a time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you had talked about like the family aspect of it. So yes. let's talk about that for a yeah. little bit. What did you? How have you been incorporating the families? Well, we knew that was important to be able to provide them with perspective from
2: other families because we're not able to provide that for them. And that can be so powerful mm-hmm. in their AC journey. So we do have family activity nights um, where our families can come. They learn about AC, aided language input, how to use their systems with their children. And um, they get training on that. They get lots of practice. And then they're Walking away with materials with whatever our theme was. So mm-hmm. if we do a reading theme, they get to walk away with a book that's adapted and ready to
0: go, so that they're comfortable using that A C system at home. Mm-hmm. And if, do I remember correctly that they, they get to make the book? Like yes. they're doing the, the, the it's a make and take sort yes. of experience. It's not yes. like hey, you won this prize, no. right? No. <laughs> we are
3: going through it step by step, and yes, they go through. They highlight the mm-hmm. words. They practice doing the aided language input. Mm-hmm. They have their their child there with them, so they get to practice, and we get to offer tips on how it's going or show them how we would do it. And yeah, then they take that book home and read it with them that night and mm-hmm. get feedback. They love it.
2: And then
0: hopefully carried over yep. to other books as well from the training that we provided. So we have done that in our neck of the woods okay. as well. Oh. And the question that came up in that session, yes. and, and I was like, yes, yes. OK, <laughs> is that is uh, mm-hmm. our turnout has been a little bit light. And it mm-hmm. and we would like it. you know, We we want 20, 40 yeah. people there. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like three people showed up, right? Is, has that been consistent with yours? Or?
3: It yes. has. So, but it did not dissuade you. It did, that's what no, you were saying in the that's, session. Because yeah. <laughs> it could be when, you know, whenever you're doing something and you feel like, oh, we were hoping that it would be this size. And it's not. You mm-hmm. think, well, maybe it's not working or maybe it's not the right fit. But we or know the, it's a good fit. It's just we get busy at night. We know how that goes when you're with your own, your family. You get busy. Um, it's after work. So that can be make it difficult. But no, we've kept at it and we keep offering it. And like you brought up in the training. We have
2: new families that usually show up every time. And so we kind of look at it as the, those families are getting the piece of information that they need to effectively implement at home mm-hmm. for what they feel like they can. And they're it's hitting the mark for them. And so then that's why maybe they're not coming back. But also for those families that are showing yeah. up, we're giving them their information we're impacting them and making yeah. a change for them. And we have heard that feedback from the families that we do directly work with that have shown up. I mean, I've had a parent who said that after they attended in November with the book one, they had just gotten a device this fall that, hey, can you send home more of those Tar hill books is what we usually send home for that carryover practice. I really feel comfortable using the device and that's my time that I can sit down and feel comfortable and I'm learning the device because of the books and everything so you know we're impacting that one family we're making a change for that one two three families that show up and that's enough for us yeah. because we've impacted those families for the rest of their lives and we can continue mm-hmm. to do that so yeah we are not dissuaded <laughs> No, um, no.
3: We and it. it's more manageable yeah. so yes. when we
2: have lower numbers we can provide more hands on support yeah. to those families as well yeah, we can so. really get
3: in there and give lots of hands on practice and talk one-on-one and Mm -hmm. work through things and obstacles they have at home. So it works out.
0: Absolutely. Now, there was something else that you said, if I remember correctly, and that was you're connecting families to other families. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah,
3: so there's this great research article, which of course I'm not gonna forget the name, but it was Building Capacity in AAC, And it came out last year, and we were reading it. And one of the things it says in there is that it's our job as professionals to help families connect with other AAC families, whether that's online or in person. So that was uh, one of the things that we started. We reached out to some of our families who have been, uh, their students have been, their children have been using AAC for quite a while. We know like through talking that they feel really confident and comfortable with using it at home and in the community. So we asked if they would be okay if we would share their contact information with families when they're starting out in that journey, when they're not sure if they reach out to us and they're saying they're struggling with figuring out how to make it work at home and get it incorporated. We can share ideas, but it's different being able to connect with a family that's doing it and can tell them exactly what's working and not working for them. So it's on a little small scale. We just share it when a family reaches out to us or if we're at a meeting and we hear those things, we're able to share that. And so that's been a helpful addition.
2: And we also give the blogs and resources of different online sites they can go to with families on there because learning is on the demand for all of us these days. (laughs) And social media is one of those platforms. And so we make sure to provide that with good blogs that we like mm-hmm. as well, so that they can have that perspective and can learn
0: on their own. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so we had three tiers of your like three parts. So there was yes. teaching other teachers and, yep. and, and professionals. There was uh, the families, yep. and then administrators. 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 Okay, yeah. so let's talk about them. <laughs> well, that was
3: that. Like we said when the we started, hurdle. the biggest hurdle for us because it was something that really wasn't on our radar. We kind okay. of didn't view that as something that we should be addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we started reading books. And going on the good websites, uh, we saw yeah that that's definitely as AT leaders you're supposed to be addressing that. So we're, we're like was more of a mind uh, set for us that we kind of had to shift that that should be on our radar. We should be doing it, and that you don't just say things once; you have to do it over and over again. So we're working on uh, working with our administration, who is fabulous and super supportive of us, to help um, in, like in, increase that AT awareness. So mm-hmm. asking AT questions during interviews, putting AT questions in evaluations for staff. Um, Um, just to really help Establish that AT is on the radar, it's valued, and that it is expected of everybody that um, will be working with us. So um,
2: it's really about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, which is uh, what Maggie's saying. (laughs) Because it is, there are bosses as well as many schools Mm -hmm. and everything, and so it is very uncomfortable to repeatedly go up and make that aware. But one thing that we are doing is having monthly assistive technology meetings Mm -hmm. with our administrators, and then it gives us that platform to be. down for the purpose of sharing our knowledge and what's going on and
0: so it, I mean, it takes a little bit of that uncomfortableness out of it. Yeah. So. How did you get started? Because if I remember correctly, you—I'm guessing here—that you went to the pre-conference with Denise DeCoste. No, no, okay, because you were quoting some Yes, well, all right. So tell me, tell me the story. So no pre-conference. So let me explain to people listening. So the before the ATIA, there are Mm pre-conferences, and one of the pre-conferences that they've had here for many years is uh, Denise DeCoste and Gail Bowser, and they're talking about kind of the the evolution of an assistive technology team or, or practice, mm-hmm. um, and, and what that looks like in your neck of the woods. And they often talk about, it. I haven't actually taken it cause I do pre-conferences here. So I'm <laughs> never there, and, but this is what my book is about and this sort of stuff. So I think we align pretty closely mm-hmm. at the idea of generating some sort of plan. I call it like an IEP yeah. for your school mm-hmm. team, right? Um, for your district, you know? Um, so how did you come up with this three year plan?
3: So we had, sometimes at ATIA, they'll have those little tiny one-hour things, and so we would go to those and hear it, and then we checked out quiet org so uh, the quality indicators for assistive technology website they have just awesome resources and self-evaluation forms so we kind of started there and then another resource that they have the national assistive technology and education network and uh they have so many different resources and they have it kind of broken down and so you'll see like you can go in here to get information under this heading like how you can build capacity in school for your school teams. And then they have a section for building capacity with administrators and things that you should be incorporating. So we spent a lot of time there. They have great publications on their website that you can, some of them you can download for free or you can become a member and then they send them to your house and then you stay up all night reading them so you can go to work the next day because you're just like, there's so many things we're not doing that we could be doing to help improve things. So we started there. Mm-hmm.
2: But I think it was also to a realization that like what we were doing was good, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Like was we needed tweaks. to do yeah. more. And so then that's when we really laid into the quiet and everything was like, okay, we need to evaluate ourselves and reflect on what we're doing and how can we make this better and more sustainable so that we're not burning ourselves out and so that everyone around us feels more empowered whenever they have a student come into their classroom that has an AC system and that they can actually work with this and they know what to do. so. Excellent.
0: In this, how far along are you in this three-year plan?
3: Well, we two. say two years, but kind of every year we're like, okay, we're starting our three-year plan over again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 But no, yeah, two years. Totally yeah, we had another thing and we're like, okay, but no. Two years, we really started hitting mm-hmm. it hard last year. So yeah. second year, next year, we're looking at it. And of course, it'll just be then analyzing what we feel is really good mm-hmm. and continuing to check out those resources to see how we can tweak it moving forward, you know.
0: So can I sum up and see if um, I'm doing a good job of, of listening. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, would you suggest that if people wanted to create their own three-year plan, so they don't burn out and so okay. they can build capacity and, and empower others, is they start with the quiet, uh, the quiet, the quality indicators mm-hmm. of assistive technology, rate themselves? Mm-hmm. Right. I remember you, you yeah. made a joke about yeah. that, like how we um, do it. Yeah, do it at home by yourself
3: in case it brings you to down tears. a little bit. Yeah, in case you start yeah. to cry.
0: Um, and I, I know we we have done that in our neck of the woods, and it's uh, and I do that when I do uh, certain <laughs> presentations. Mm-hmm. is to have groups do it together so yeah. that we are, you know, well, I think we're a two on this. No, I think we're a three on this. And well, I think maybe a 2.5, mm-hmm. you know, and you you banter back and forth about it. But it gives you a baseline, right? Because yes. then three years later, this is how you could measure your growth, yeah. right? Yes, for sure. Okay, so that would be a good place That's to start. That's a good
3: place to start, yes. Okay,
0: good, 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 good. And then you said the Nate Network? Yeah,
3: the Nate Network is great.
0: Awesome. And then did you outline it in some way, your steps for the three, three years, or just kind of, you it were was, on the. It was kind of on.
3: evolving as we mm-hmm. went.
0: It was
2: whatever we felt was doable yes. at the moment for us to go ahead and tackle. And then some things were like, mm, we're going to wait, yeah. we'll work on this over the summer. We both do extended school year, and so we're together during that summertime, and we can plan for the next year, and we're like, okay, now we're going to put these steps into place, or we're going to tweak this even further um, and make it a little bit better for next year. So,
0: yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, one last question here, ATIA. You've been here for you know this today is Saturday, so yes. it's been all week. We are. You should see us. We're all slumped yes, over. We are okay, tired. <laughs> Chris, please shut off the room. No. <laughs> um, so, did you see anything else good? Something that really floated your boat? That got your mind yes. racing? A session by Lance. That's right. Lance, Lance McElmore. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, it was the first day Thursday
2: morning at 8 a.m. And it was the most powerful session I have ever been to. Yeah. Um, it really hits home. So if you ever have the chance, you have to see an AC user present. It will change your life. Lance uh, has been on the podcast. Yeah. It
0: was, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then we went to a 3D printing one. So we are going to start trying to get ourselves knowledgeable about that. And I know you.
0: I dabble. Yeah, you
3: dabble. <laughs> So, so yeah, we, yeah, we may be reaching out because I want to become a dabbler too. So we went to a great three D session, three uh, D printing session that gave us a lot of ideas, good mm-hmm. places to start. Can you
0: think of one? Like, what was something you'd want to three uh, D print to solve some sort of problem? We
3: key guards for iPads for speech generating uh, apps so Mm -hmm. that's definitely on our list 3D Mm -hmm. symbols yes. 3D much uh, like
2: Project Core Core. we want to be able to make those and have those in our assistive tech lending library that we house at BASC as well
3: and then we found like the coolest fidgets Mm -hmm. that people are making so I'm like that's on my list too Mm -hmm. so yeah.
0: (laughs) Did you happen to go to the AT Maker space this morning? Yeah so did you see the whole accessible gaming lounge and how they're printing like the little mounts and things? Yeah. It's fantastic right? For sure.
3: So many applications and so many different areas. It's it's exciting because you really are limitless in what you can do. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and we'll leave it right there. Yes. <laughs> uh, so thank you both very much for taking some time to be on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank thanks you for, for your presentation. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking with Tech. My name is Chris, and I'm here live at ATIA doing an interview with Susan Todd. How's it going, Susan? Great. And Lauren Vaughn. Hey, Lauren. How's it going? Awesome. Lauren, you and I just met, but Susan and I are longtime friends from the bus. (laughs) Yeah, from the
4: bus. I was so excited when I met you. We walked on the bus, and I was like, ah!
0: (laughs) You're like, I know you. I know you.
4: You don't know who I am, but I know you. But I know now. Right now we've met, and we're
0: going to be more friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. I just uh, came into the last 10 minutes of your session um, on AAC assessments, Mm -hmm. Um, and so let's talk about that first. But before, let's talk about where you work and what you do.
4: I am a um, doctoral student at the University of Kansas. focusing on AAC and family-centered interventions. I just started in August, but before that, I was an outpatient provider with AAC, mostly in pediatrics, where I
5: did intervention and assessment. Awesome, man. And I recently relocated to Caguas, Puerto Rico. Um, I've been there for about two weeks. It's been very exciting. Um, previously, I was a grant scholar through the University of Kansas, where I received a lot of coursework in AAC. And most recently, I was an outpatient clinician focusing on AAC assessments and interventions Interventions for about the birth to five population based in Kansas
0: let's talk about that for a second Puerto Rico yes Puerto Rico so how did you end up in Puerto Rico and where were you before
5: Um, in Kansas well I've lived all over Connecticut New York Los Angeles had a you know career change midway through my life um, then went to Kansas but yes my um, long-term partner is in medical school and said I need you so I said all right here we go
0: so what's your job in Puerto Rico? Uh,
5: not yet. Not Nothing. yet. Yeah, not yet. Nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of it's exciting. <laughs> so just kind of figuring out where I can do the most good and where the most need is and how I can apply my skill sets to that population.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to hear. That's going to be an exciting adventure. Mm, I yes, know. Yes. All right. So let's talk about your session first. So you were doing something on AEC assessments.
4: Yes. Our session that we just did at ATIA was um, AAC assessments. This is not a test. Um, so think of your like the TV screen that used to show up um for testing the service
0: (laughs) yes i remember i remember that
4: (laughs) that's actually one of our first slides just like just trying to bring bring the focus back to um aac assessments are not pass or fail like they should be dynamic assessments that are continually evolving over time and um for us where we previously worked how that looked was that we did it over a period of sessions um typically six to eight weeks um but it gave us time as clinicians to not feel pressure to have all the answers right away. So I don't know about you, but I have some of my best ideas at the most random moments. <laughs> so having a- having a session where you're like, this isn't working today and having time in between that session and the next one, often I would think of a solution to try. And so it took, it was a dynamic process for me as a clinician and then for the student too, that gives them time to really experience it and for the family to get to know all the devices you're trialing and really help to sit at the table of making an informed decision.
0: Oh, so they're they're kind of an integral part of the decision-making process. Yeah, so Mm -hmm.
4: since we worked in outpatient, We had the luxury of always, almost always having a family member in the session with us when we're doing device trials. And so we use that as a time to do education about these are the features of this device, these are the features of the software, Um, this is how it compares and contrasts to this other one that we tried. And what are your thoughts? Like, Give us some feedback, ask some questions, because it helps them to have a more solid knowledge base instead of us giving them a piece of technology inserting it into their family family unit and saying use it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: And I think that's so important because we just, I mean, I personally saw so much device abandonment with individuals coming back in to do a re-evaluation, and um, long-term just devices being abandoned within a year if there's no follow-up because there's no caregiver input and no caregiver involvement. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I think it's crucial to involve any, every sort of, you know, team player to be involved in that whole process.
0: So I know when I walked into your session, the slide that was up was sort of a a brainstorming sort of Mm -hmm. activity that you were doing where you were comparing single... Session assessments versus multi-session assessments, and mm-hmm. do you find that that there's there's a lot of people that still do like, all right, you've got uh, an hour, you know, and and uh, I got an hour of my time to prove that uh, what system I think I'm going to try and use.
4: I think that the danger and the thing that I saw in the area that we were. Uh, we were practicing was they something would be tried but they didn't try to problem solve through what they tried. Mm-hmm. So they would present it once, that's not an option, he wasn't successful, and then it, that's when it was more of a test mm-hmm. than a teaching situation. And no one that I know has ever seen a speech-generating device and been like, oh yeah, this makes complete sense to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so exactly. Exactly. Why would we expect that of the population that we serve?
0: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So this is something that I have harped on for many years mm-hmm. is First of all, if you're gonna try multiple things, mm-hmm. what made you try that thing first? Like what mm-hmm. you're gonna try, if the if the requirement is to try three AAC systems, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, did you randomly pick the first mm-hmm. one or did you have some reason to pick mm-hmm. that first one? And if you picked the first one, what was your reason for it and maybe why not just try that and teach it? Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, now that there's so much more research on motor planning and we know how important that is, well. I've, I've done something and I've taught you this, uh, where go is and whatever system I jo- chose to choose first. Uh, and then that gets, inf- the second ses- one you try is influenced by the first one because, well, I just spent all this time teaching mm-hmm. you, like you were saying, teaching where the words are. So I don't know, what are your thoughts?
5: Yeah. Again, I think it is that teaching component that we're forgetting. It's thinking, oh, no, I need to place, you know, 60 icons in front of this individual and they're going to be proficient right away. And if they're not, oh, it's off the table. No, we need to take that time to implement assessment and intervention at the same time to teach that individual how to navigate and how to request and how to protest and comment on.
4: And it's not the whole like putting icons in front of someone and saying, show me, go Mm -hmm. if they're just memorizing the arrow, they're not learning language, which again, it always goes back to AAC intervention is language intervention and you cannot differentiate the two. Otherwise, you're not going to have successful users. And then I think another thing that goes into your point that we presented was um, AAC should be considered like a circle. Like you have the seven components of your AAC evaluation, and sometimes it'll change. Like someone might not need as much time with access um, because it's not as difficult for that individual, but someone might need more. So like the, the circle, the pie is going to change for each individual, and you can come into the circle from any point from the communicative assessment, from device trials, from personalization, from education for the family. But you're starting somewhere, and then you can go around and around the circle over and over again. It's not a linear
0: your process mm-hmm. at some point though you have to pick something right Is right the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and i know if there's going to be people listening they're gonna be like wait wait what are those seven things oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> let me yeah. see if i can
4: pull up the visual so we adap- we adapted this visual from an article by Deitz and colleagues from 2012, um, and the seven things that they talked about were multimodal approaches, communicative assessment, symbol assessment, device trials, access method, AAC instruction, and personalization.
0: Awesome. Okay. And so the idea that you're saying is that it's not a linear process; it's Mm-mm. a circular process. It's a circular process. So you're looking process. at all of those. And when you said different pieces of the pie chart, mm-hmm. some parts of that might be there's literally a drum band walking by right now what are the chances?
5: of course <laughs>
0: Wait, are we in puerto rico that- <laughs> <Where am> i said <laughs> Um, okay, now that the drum <laughs> beats are over and we move to a different spot, um, we were talking about how the pie chart that you were yes. ta- that it's circular and mm-hmm. that different parts of the of the process might be longer or shorter mm-hmm. for other people. That's what you're right, sort of explaining. Right, it's
4: always you're always going to get the complete result, right? But the picture is going to look different. The colors are going to be different on the pie chart for every individual client that you're serving, because as you as I said, like someone that might not need a lot of time spent on how can they access the system um but you might assume that because someone has direct access that they might need that time so you might jump in somewhere else and then you figure out like oh maybe i need to try key guard or or i need to try um the dwell time on the touch because they're just they need that because because they're or whatever reason, maybe they're tap, tap, tapping, mm-hmm. visual, yeah. whatever reason. So you, you, can, you go back and you reconsider okay. access method. So it's always, it's gonna be very individualized for every client that you serve.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And then the myth of there's um, like a hierarchy or I, you know the steps of we need to start with sign. And once they master sign language, we can move to the PEX boards. And once, I mean, it's great to include all of those components and I'm saying, don't knock them out, but again, put them in that circle. Maybe start with a speech generating device and then go back to sign language and then kind of bounce around here. But again, it's not this step or this hierarchy of things that need to be quote unquote mastered to get to the next level of communication. So one thing that we did is we presented,
4: we've all heard them, the if thens of AAC. I'm sure you've heard if, they can do this system, then we will try this system. Mm -hmm. But really, if they can do a low-tech, then we want to continue device trials. We want to see, because voice output is powerful, and it might not be effective because maybe low-tech is the best option, but we need to try everything. And the only way to rule in or rule out anything is to try it. But then if low-tech has not been successful, then, again, we need to continue system trials because I don't know how many referrals we got for older kids, like 10 or. 12 who had been on a low-tech system that was only used at school because they weren't proficient enough at with it enough to be sent home that was the thought and then we tried a low, a high tech speech generating device and that kids, the kid's eyes would light up and they were so excited and they had a voice finally right. so that's and I'm like so much time was lost because of that hierarchy, hierarchy approach to AAC assessments
0: can I ask you to dig in a little bit so there mm-hmm. I hear these two words a lot yeah. and I often wonder what do we really mean by them so the first word is successful mm-hmm. you know what what does success Success look like, mm-hmm. um, and how do you indicate it? Because I can. There's a sort of a mentality out there that, well, that they, yes, they're, they they use the low tech and they're being successful with mm-hmm. it. Therefore, why would we need anything else? Mm-hmm. Like, so how do we define success? Do you know what I mean? Right, yes. And then the second word, which is similar, is proficient. Mm-hmm. Like, what what makes you proficient? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where it feels like there's some sort of threshold, like a line that you cross and you, you now you've earned your proficiency badge. Do you know what I mean? So I wonder what we really mean by those words. What are your thoughts?
4: I, I mean, it's a really interesting and difficult question, but I, I can more define it as what I don't think of it as. Because yeah. I think all too often people say AAC success is being able to complete tasks, X, Y, Z. and It's very task driven. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, we've heard from so this conference is so great because we have AAC communicators here and they're saying, why isn't it more relationship driven? Mm -hmm. And why is it someone used the word noun centric and and request centric? And I'm like, that's those are great words. I'm going to start using those like because that is not proficiency to me. Like proficiency is being able to be be using a system, be on a trajectory to become a literate, become, become literate, to become able to form relationships through communication, to be an active participant in their family unit and within their community, whatever that looks like for that family. Um, and it's all, cause communication is all about friendships and like having friends and being able, it's more than task-driven objectives.
0: Maybe if that's the end result is having friendships. Yeah.
5: Yeah, And I think also just, you know, proficiency doesn't mean that you can put together like syntactically complete sentence. I want the blue bird. I mean, that's great. But also maybe they say no bird, want bird, point to the bird, say like, I mean, that's more, that's more proficiency to me is that they're using different communicative intents to talk about this bird, scary bird happy bird, you know, instead of just this, you know, syntactically beautiful sentence that can only be used in one situation for one specific thing.
0: Absolutely. Cause you could program one button to do that. Right? right? Exactly. <laughs> yes.
5: Right. Um, yeah.
0: Can I ask you another question? Mm-hmm. So, uh, at the end of your session, uh, you had lots of good interaction and feedback, uh, where people were chatting and one of the pe- one of the people in the, in the, uh, one of the participants was saying, um, well, uh, it was a no-brainer evaluation that I had to do because someone already, they were already using this as kind of a classroom tool. And so I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Like, well, if they already have it involved in the class, then we'll just use that. I feel like that's one indicator, but...
4: So we had a similar question. We presented this at um, the Kansas Speech-Language Hearing Association also. And someone said, well, what do you do in situations when a parent already comes with something that they purchase privately? And my first thing that I said was, if that happens, We're initiating this conversation too late,
0: Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm. and there is something problem. There's a problem in the system that this family or this classroom or that child didn't have access to an appropriate AAC evaluation to begin with, Mm -hmm. and that someone said, "Well, this is the solution. I'm just going to try it." So I think it it brings up a bigger problem within the AAC community that people. We need more providers who are comfortable doing it. We need to not be afraid to initiate conversations about AEC with families because if a family is desperate enough, I don't want to say desperate, mm-hmm. but in a sense they mm-hmm. are desperate enough. They want to communicate with their child um, to just go out and buy an iPad and a communication chopper that they know nothing about. Then the onus needs to be on us, and we need to look at our own practices and say, what are we doing that we didn't enter, we didn't initiate this before they felt that
0: desperation. Absolutely. I think Dana Nieder would would say Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like, it's on the profession Mm -hmm. that that failed the parent, that the parent has to go off and feel like, I have to do this on my own, right?
4: Right. But it's really hard. I mean, like that person, like you are talking about the person in the session, Mm -hmm. um, it would be hard if the child has already gotten used to that system to then come in and do a system trial and recommend something different. Mm -hmm. So I see all the perspectives. So again, I just go back to there's a whole nother issue that that brings up. Sure, sure.
5: And I also think there is an importance of a low-tech system for backup if that's the situation. Um, Where I live right now, we have earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunami warnings. There's not a lot of electricity consistently or internet. So that low-tech is so crucial. And also, um, transitioning over to a high-tech device, you don't want to say, oh, we're done with this low-tech system, this core book. No, that that should always be with the child as well. They're comfortable with it. They're using it. And then modeling on that new high-tech system. So again, not completely dismissing the use of low tech technology once a you know a high tech system SGD is introduced but incorporating it mm-hmm. and still using it to a sense. Well,
0: I feel like that is part of a sort of a total approach. Every adult user I've ever met has multiple just like uh, we, we primarily use our vocal cords and our articulators to mm-hmm. talk, but it's also, you know, we have text messaging, right? Mm-hmm. You're nodding right now, right? Mm-hmm. So we have multiple means, but we have one primary. So maybe it's the same thing with low tech, is that, that maybe it's not necessarily someone's primary way, mm-hmm. uh, could be, mm-hmm. it could be, but um, that would be one portion of a system, you exactly. know?
4: And that needs to be considered in the assessment process. We talked about that of multimodal communication. And when you say to a parent, like, you know your child and you know how they communicate these things with you, and that is effective and that's awesome. And we're gonna try to give you another tool that will hopefully someday be as effective, um, and we're gonna help you get to that point, but we really wanna support you in communicating with your child however it looks. Right now, and then build from that. Like that gives them. I, I, I think that gives parents a lot of empowerment, from my experience, and
5: buy-in
0: and buy-in, buy-in. Right. Right.
5: Buy yes, I think buy-in is a big component of that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for ages, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, <laughs> Uh, we'll check in sometime in the future, cause I totally want to hear about how you, when you, congratulations on your, uh, uh, you're working towards your doctorate, yeah. right? Awesome. And you living in Puerto Rico yes. and what that is going to be like. And, um, and when you get a job there mm-hmm. and what that's going to be yes. like, and he's probably going to be working in, uh, in communication in some way, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Can't wait to hear all about yes. it. So thank you for being on the podcast yeah. and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome to Talking with Tech. Here I am at ATIA and I'm sitting across from Marlene Cummings. How's it going? It's going wonderful. How how has the ATI experience been for you this year?
6: It's like being fed by a fire hose. It is constant, dripping in amazing things and then trying to process them and then know what to do with them when you get back.
0: Yeah, really, (laughs) really trying to keep it all in your brain. Well, okay, so you and I have only met once before. That was last year, right after the um, AAC Spotlight, uh, where we had to outline challenges and come up with some solutions, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, But this year, you were doing that, right? We're, We're you one of the people that did that? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that session and what you uh, what you talked about?
6: Yes. Yeah, so it was quite
0: different, right, than the way we did it last year, I think. Yes. Yeah. So let's hear all about
6: it. Yeah. So last year, um, I had the privilege of meeting Aaron Sheldon and Rachel Langley and Tabby jones, jones. Willeberg. Yes, Wilber. <laughs> and um, we ended up having dinner together and found out we were of similar mind and trying to figure out how to support kids and families and staff with AAC. And so we started a year-long dialogue over Zoom. So we kept connecting um, just about once a month and ended up putting a presentation together um, from all of our vantage points and from the different things we've done, and we presented it.
0: Awesome. So is it okay? Can you share what some of that presentation was
6: like? Absolutely. So what we did is start looking at the participation model from uh, and Miranda and getting an idea of how we can pull out barriers, like how can we can break through them and help people understand they do have hope. That there's a chance to be able to begin mm-hmm. to to make the work truly impact kids and families without um, just giving up or assuming that it's got to be somebody else's job. Mm-hmm and somebody else's responsibility. And so we just started breaking down those barriers to get a sense of where can we start. So for us at Oakland schools where I work, we really approached many of the different barriers at once because policy wasn't a challenge for us. Whereas Rachel and Tabby looked at other pieces Mm. um, that they could truly influence and impact um, on their own or with a small team. So what we discovered, so the room filled up really quickly. Yep. <laughs> and the first half, everybody was kind of shaking their head like, yep, that's my problem. Mm-hmm. That's my problem. Yep.
0: Barrier, barrier. Got it. Well, we have yep. that too.
6: Mm-hmm. And then we gave um, a document that they could walk through to identify a, d- a barrier, identify where it fit in one, in one of our categories. And then what were some first steps, some resources that they could take? So the second half of the session, we had these like, oh goodness, where they're digging through the document and trying to you know, talk to each other and, and sort out, could they make an impact? What, Where could they start? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very exciting. And so we gave resources and this document that they could process. Um, and we've had so many comments since then that it really hit a nerve with people mm-hmm. that we need to figure this out and we can do it together.
0: So is that document something that can be shared beyond the ATIA or is it for ATIA yes, I, only? Yes, I
6: believe so. so mm-hmm. I will check with um, the team, but I know that um, that was our goal is for it to be a document that you can take back to your team and begin to look at what are our barriers, Mm -hmm. where can we start, and what kind of barrier is it? Mm -hmm. Um, So some of the barriers were attitude, skill, practice, policy, and knowledge, Uh Um, and then where that fit in the work that you were doing. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if you hit knowledge, you can shift a lot of things. But if you can't change attitude, which for us, we think of it as mindset, yeah. then oh my gosh. you can't often get the door open to even move forward.
0: So I'm laughing here because <laughs> um, in my local school district where I work, uh, we did, did this past year, we did a whole big training module. And ah. um, uh, people came to do three days of training about learning language with AAC. Oh my and, gosh. And uh, the very, first activity that we have is doing a padlet where we ask them to fill out the barriers and then the second activity is we sort those into categories uh, uh, and then we we know it always comes out there's something that has to do with mindset and then mm-hmm. we say this is <clears> the first <throat> thing we have to and our, the first half of the first day is all about adjusting mindset so it's kind of amazing that you you were coming up we never talked about this right? No not uh, ever but <laughs> <laughs> um, came up very similar strategy mm-hmm. uh, and then you target which area now that we did do and so this whole thing that you're i'm really intrigued to kind of take a look at it and say Mm -hmm. okay which one of these areas are we going to attack first right right Mm -hmm. so you you said in your in your neck of the woods policy wasn't an issue you already had people that understood uh aac and that they didn't need to adjust policy is that right
6: yeah so one of the things that we've had if you've been in the field very long or or long time Um, you might know Ina Kirsten and so she has been in the field 40 plus years she's now retired and at the county I work in she pretty much founded AAC she also was one of the beginners in Isaac and a lot of the movement in the field and so we already had established that AAC was gonna be part of anything that came out of the intermediate school district. We serve 28 um, local school districts at our intermediate level. Okay. So um, when I joined the team 10 years ago, we already had four AAC consultants full time. Mm-hmm. And so we fund all of the communication systems and AT at the county level. So all of those superintendents and directors chose to leave a part of that money from IDEA mm-hmm. at the county level. Okay, And so that didn't, what isn't barrier for us. We also do professional development. We're part of a unit called Capacity building.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, which I love. Already there, it, yeah. where everyone else is like, "This is what we have to do now." You're already doing it. Yeah, okay. and yeah.
6: that's my brain. I love capacity building, mm-hmm. and so we are able to do professional development. We're able to do get systems out without the full um, ATAAC evaluation, mm-hmm. because we can switch them pretty easily. Like if we make a mistake or we're not on, you know, on target, then we can shift. Um, and so that's a big piece. For us, but the thing that we found is, um, which a lot of people struggle with, is if I can only get the device, you know, everything's going to be amazing. And I'm here to tell you it's not so amazing. Um, (laughs) It's really good. Um, But the implementation, changing the mindset, being able to shift practice um, in these teams because they're wearing hundreds of hats, it seems, during a year and lots of responsibilities. And how do we embed communication in AAC into their everyday work so that we don't make it harder, Mm -hmm. that we're able to just slide it in and make it more powerful. Um, So we do PL, we get systems out, we support their tech, um, we support their learning, provide whatever we can. We also do what's called job-embedded professional learning, which we have found is a huge tool because we're in their classrooms helping them change their practice Mm -hmm. um, and we're doing it together so they get to choose their goals, they get to choose how they're going to do that, rather than us coming in as the expert and saying, oh, by the way, we think you should learn this. Um,
0: This is so... um... Uh, ratifying for me because, or is that the right word? Yeah, but you know what I mean? Vindicating. No, not, that's not the right word. That confirming? Like, confirming, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the right word. There it is. Um, because that's exactly what we did with our training module is that we have those three days of training, but when you leave the first day of training, you also leave with a coach. And that ah. coach is meeting with you. Now, it's all about partner augmented input. We're using okay. uh, the s'mores model and, oh, and trying nice. to follow. The, mm-hmm. and, and But you have a coach that is doing a job embedded. We need to be in your classroom with you. Mm-hmm your kids, in your time, in, in your space, not telling you what to do, but asking you exactly what you said. What's, uh, what's your goal? The goal is to do more s'mores, mm-hmm. but, uh, and be But within better, that, within that, that structure and that yeah. framework, mm-hmm. do you want to do more expanding? Do you want to do more, yeah. right? Or maybe there is something else that that's actually what we're thinking our next year will be is, is, okay, there are other skills. Do you want to, uh, mm-hmm. learn more about and practice, uh, least to most prompting, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, let you choose from a menu of skills to pick from. Yes. So is that, how do how do you meet the person where they're at?
6: So we provide a foundational series that has five parts and so probably about eight years ago we tried to scour the field, the research, to see what were those strategies that we could have the most impact, the fastest that, that all teams could learn rather than that expert person. And so we um, start with the mindset. Um, we use the Communication Bill of Rights um, a lot in just about everything we do. Um, and we talk about the myths, we talk about perceptions. One of Dr. Um, Zangieri's models of how perception drives expectation, which drives opportunity, which drives achievement. Mm-hmm. And so we have that model in place and then we do core vocabulary. So we have universal supports across the county that we provide. Um, we have devices and large core boards and a core flipbook and all those kinds of things to our perception is um, intervention before assessment. Mm -hmm. So I need to get visibly represented language in front of kids before I'm gonna decide about this powerful AAC system that they're gonna use. I need them to experience this in their classrooms where they live. Um, And then we do aided language input, of course, um, and we do vocabulary instruction. So we look at explicit instruction to increase that vocabulary. Um, And then we do opportunities and we Typically embed it right into emergent literacy skills. So we have an initiative in our state around emergent literacy. We work closely with um, Dr. Karen Erickson and Dr. David Copenhaver. We do a trainer of trainer models and at our um, County, we've brought them in for about 12 years now to do a five-day training every summer. Um, And so communication isn't in a vacuum. It has to happen somewhere. And so we believe it needs to happen with literacy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. (laughs) So
6: So that's what people choose from is we do this training and then our job embedded and the classroom work is... Where do you want to dig deeper? How do you want to figure that out? Um, so that's kind of our menu that they're able to... This sounds to amazing at.
0: to me, right? It sounds awesome. So there's what's the barrier? Because you... like, I mean, it seems like everything's working. Like, that's exactly what I would want everyone to, to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, what are some challenges? Or are you like, are you seeing... Oh, no, no, we, we, yeah, we used to have challenges, but no, these are how we overcame them.
6: Mm-hmm. The challenges are getting less. However, the state... The sustainability is the piece. Mm -hmm. How do we keep it going? How do we keep the momentum up in an unstable environment? So we know education is an unstable environment. People are moving and changing and leaving and coming in with, you know, little or no skill, Mm -hmm. um, lots of passion, um, but Mm -hmm. not sure what to do. So um, our biggest goal right now is how can we continue to um, determine our impact What does that look like? Because, you know, we can get teacher surveys and they're excited. We get anecdotal data. But how do we truly track um, our impact and then continue to shift enough with the culture right now Mm -hmm. um, so that we can keep everybody moving forward and still catch people up when they join us? So that we're trying to figure that out. So we've been here this week kind of thinking about what is our true barrier, you know, and I think it's that sustainability and the momentum. I
0: could not agree more. Mm -hmm. Again, so about a a year ago, I took a new job as the, the specialist in our district. So, the assistive oh, okay. technology specialist. When I took that job uh, during my interview, one of the things I said is the bear one of our biggest barriers is transitions, you know, people uh, leaving special ed. Well, mm-hmm. that was part of my barrier that I mentioned in the the, the challenge yes. last year was uh-huh. that, and we see it this year, we, we just spent all this time training and coaching and people are leaving, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and I find that with administration is that we'll have all everything set up and that administrator then retires and at the new person, we got to start all over again with that mm-hmm. mindset and with all the other par- factors. So um, yeah, that sustainability, I think that is a big challenge for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: One piece that we keep um, kind of digging deeper in is the capacity building piece <clears throat> because a lot of times people think capacity building is just getting everybody informed. Mm. Um, And we believe um, a second step is getting people to become influencers. So in local districts, not only do we want that team to figure it out or the administrator, but we want people on the ground that are not gonna let the story end. Mm Um, and so it can't just be us carrying the story. It has to be those people that grab that passion yes. and and keep it going. Yes. And, and we're tell finding, their own story. yes. yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so we're finding in our districts when that's happening, it's more the administrator will context, Oh, by the way, I hear we need to get more of this, or I hear that I need to talk to you about whatever. Um, and that's coming out of the foundation of that district, you know, yeah. and that mindset that they have, and that culture, and it's not was us having to go back in and say, Oh, by the way, now it's not working everywhere. Obviously, Um, we have 28 districts, but we do feel that we've got some momentum on our thinking at least about that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some of your time today to out of ATI. I know it's super busy and I know there's so much to do and so much to (laughs) learn. So taking a few minutes to come over here, huddle with me into this cold corner (laughs) with the air conditioning's blowing on us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a
6: pleasure.
3: Please listen carefully.
0: Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.SpeechScience.org slash Speech Science Podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication?
3: You're listening to The Exceptional Podcast Network.